Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yes, hi everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of Gag and Pod in Conversation. We want to have some fun while there's no live football on, and we're going to do it all again now for you with another dose of football fun with Michael Bridges, joined this week by Craig Moore. We're absolutely delighted to spread our bureaus out across the country week by week. David Wiener with you once again. Let's get straight into it. Bridges, I'll come to you in a second, but first I want to welcome Craig. How are, how are you, mate? How are you travelling um, at these... Uh, really strange times well first and foremost thanks for having us on very polite Dave Craig I like that <laughs> um, nah look I mean it's, it's testing times for for many isn't it I mean obviously you're looking to do the right things for, for family and friends and taking the medical advice that's been given and trying to stay active um, more mentally uh, so things like this are, are very good it gives us an opportunity to, to still communicate because that, that's that's the hardest part, you know. Mentally, I've had a couple of days where you know you, you, that cabin fever can set in, and it's important to you know I, I guess find ways to be able to um, you know switch off or, or, or be able to uh, come through that situation. So whether it be out a little bit of exercise, a walk, a jog, um, so challenging, challenging for us all. Yeah, and in a way, that's kind of what we want to fill a bit of void for everyone here with a bit of fun, a bit of nostalgia talk about some stuff that normally puts cheer on our face. Um, we don't have a live sport to do that or the, the serious world of football, so we're going we're gonna to really enjoy that now. But I, I want to come to you now, Bridget, because I want to just check you've recovered from your exploits overnight on our Facebook trivia game. Bridget, I told you you could call me. I told you you could phone a friend. Like, I, I was worried you are going to end up on negatives. <laughs> I should have done. It was um, it was a cracking night. It was a we had a test run the night before. All went to plan, and the last... you're going to say that you won the test, of course. Uh, well, of course, because nobody saw that, Craig. But yeah, you know these things are just behind closed doors. But yeah, I won it. <laughs> and the last thing the producer said, I'll never forget. Josh said, "Make sure, boys, you charge up the cameras that we have given you." And your microphone. So I only had one job, basically, or, or two. <laughs> and guess who forgot to charge his microphone up? And after 10 minutes, my mic went dead. I was playing catch-up, therefore, after. And that is why I ended up losing so many points and questions. But I did enjoy just having a drink of red wine and listening to the banter and reading the abuse on Facebook. So it was a really good night. All right, so it was actually more, it was actually more a fitness failing rather than a, a, a technical failing or a knowledge failing. So you're going you're gonna to oh. blitz it tonight. Oh, Dave, the funniest, the, the, the worst part about it was my dogs actually um, decided that they would have a, a mad half an hour spell where they were fighting each other and all you could hear in the background was dogs <laughs> yes. going off and chasing each other and it turned into be a bit of a comedy show, mate. So I'm fully prepared tonight. I'm getting my professional head on and I'm, I'm ready ready to give it another go and beat Johnny Aloisi. Yeah, well, that was re- it was a good laugh and 
<laughs> and we'll, uh, as I said, you can phone a friend if you need Bridgie, but um, technology, it's interesting for everyone working from home at the moment. No, no secrets here that I could, if I say that uh, we've done a bit of a madness getting this podcast up this week, I feel like getting it up would be like a 95th minute winner, Maury, with the, the technical problems we've had over the last few minutes, but we've, we've hopefully done it. And we've got some good chat to have as everyone figures out this working from home landscape uh, at the moment. Now, we're going to start in this conversation, gents. Um, we're talking about some stuff that we're, we're enjoying on the Optusport app at the moment, all the classics, all the rewinds. And, and we've got the pleasure of talking to you gentlemen week to week on, on what it was like to live those days. And um, you, you two have played at, at, a, at a common club. Newcastle United, of course, different stages of your career, different experiences. And I wanted to just take you back there for a little bit, just to tell the, the, the listeners out there a little bit about what is a absolute football hotbed. I cannot wait to one day go to a game at St. James's Park because it looks absolutely extraordinary. And I guess, Bridgie, as a, a, a youngster who, had that, who, who grew up with all that around you, it must have been an extraordinary time in your life. Yeah, it was... I mean, as a, as a local boy growing up in a place called Whitley Bay, which is um, down by the coast, and we only use the beaches to walk our dogs on, mate. We never sunbathe. It's, it was, but it's part of the Newcastle region. We are north of the River Tyne, and obviously on the south side of the river, it's Sunland fans. And, you know, there's an unbelievable documentary on the moment on Netflix, which is Sunland Till I Die. They've just gone to the, the second season of that. And just to give you an idea of the... The history in the northeast, especially, there is two clubs, and if you class Middlesbrough in there as well, it's a little bit further down. But they also come into that that bracket. People's livelihoods and livings just evolve around the success of the football clubs and the money that they earn and put into the football clubs, whether it's with merchandise, going to follow the clubs, and the passion is just unbelievable because there's nothing else up there, Dave, in that region um, regarding football clubs. They're, they're, the, they're the two that everybody puts their heart and soul into and they have this unbelievable rivalry. And I just remember as a young kid being north of the river, my dad was a Newcastle United fan, and the journey leaving the house on the afternoons, whether it was rain, hail or sunshine, getting on the local metro, the half an hour journey up with the fans, getting a cup of Bovril. My dad would always get a cup of tea and I'd get the Bovril. We would sit there. Well, actually, it was standing area then. I was in the paddock, which is now the, um, the new West Stand. And it was just an amazing experience to see a full house. And I used to go there and watch the likes of Mirandinia, um, Paul Gascoigne, Chris Waddle, who was my hero and my idol. And as soon as Chris Waddle left, that's where my love of Tottenham Hotspur came from um, when Waddle left when I was about eight or nine. But just the whole build-up to the games, to go to St. James's Park, the matches, it's just all people talk about. And especially when there's a derby on against the rivals, the whole build-up to the week after is just about the bragging rights for the whole year, mate. So it's, it's something that I'm very... Uh, being brought up in a very, very run-down area. It gave me the love of football because I was I was grounded and we didn't have a lot of lot of money in our family and all the kids used to play backstreet football in the cobbled streets. So we would go when our school field was actually built and we got grass. We would go up there to the school and play on the school field. So it's a very very good good area to be from it because, um, like I say, the passion of football is in your blood. Very different time of your career that you went there, Maury. But what what attracted you? to them at that point. And I, and, and, and I know that uh, you'd, you'd come from Germany at that point um, as, as well. And there was a, it was a late transfer to get in there. Can you talk us through that stage of, of your, of your um, 
of your career? Yeah, well, look, obviously I had a, um, it was more the, the soonest factor at the particular time. I'd, um, I'd nearly signed for Blackburn uh, in 2004. Um, during the Olympics, I, I actually um, had agreed terms, but I failed a, I failed a medical. And so obviously things were coming to an end at, at Rangers for me. Uh, and I had a, had a brief spell in Germany with Munchen Gladbach, uh, reuniting with Dick Avocat. Uh, more to, to, to prove my, my fitness because I'd failed, failed a medical and football circles, as we know, are, um, you know, things like, uh, you know, like that can circulate very quickly. So got the opportunity to get playing and, and, and you know, showing people that I was fit and healthy, but it was still a last, um, a last minute thing and the opportunity to go to uh, and sign for, for Newcastle United under Sooners at that time. Um, I did have a, funny enough, Bridgie, you'll like this, I did have a late rally as well uh, when Mick McCarthy was at Sunderland. They also offered us um, a longer term deal um, but had that, that, that yucky clause in it, you know, that 50% um, um, in terms of salary deduction if your team was relegated. Yes. Um, and so I had that opportunity as well. I ended up signing for Newcastle. That season, Sunderland got relegated. We, look, made the, the, the right decision, obviously. Um, but preparation-wise, uh, Dave, I... I couldn't have been placed any better in terms of I had 12 years at, at Glasgow Rangers who uh, Bridgie will be well aware of. You know, you've got the, the similar like rivalry, you know, although that's a religious kind of rivalry up in, in Glasgow. Um, when you play at a, a, such a well-supported football club, when times are, times are good, uh, it, it's fantastic. But at the same time, when you're, you're maybe struggling a little bit, um, it can be quite brutal, mm. the supporter base. Turns now, into a very, it turns into animosity, doesn't it? Very much so, Bridgie. And, and, and I, so I, I felt I was really well prepared for going to a club the size of, of Newcastle. Uh, again, sort of like a massive club um, in the northeast. That's kind of, as you've touched on, uh, they're up there. Um, well, they consider to, to be by themselves, but to be the biggest club up there. So the, the support from the, the city, um, is phenomenal. Um, everybody lives and, and breathes it. And I, I really had a great time. The, the disappointing thing for me was that, that I wasn't match fit and I wasn't um, at the best uh, for the two years that I was there. When I was fit and healthy, I played. Did I play enough there for my liking? No, because of the, the, the injury situation. Um, so, I look... I, Great bunch of boys um, at, the, at the time, you know, your Michael Owens, your Alan Shearers, um, you know, Damien Dusk were there, Nicky Butt, Scotty Parker, Stevie Carr, Shay Given and, and Steve Harper ever present for, for a long time at the football club. So there was a really good, uh, a really good mix and, and, and probably had two decent seasons, uh, if, I'm, if I'm honest, when, when I was there. The first season we finished in eighth position and managed to, to qualify through into Toto for the Europa. Um, so, really, really good times. But I've seen players. Uh, Babiaro was one in particular where we talk about can you handle pressure? Uh, and Babiaro played at Chelsea, played at Nigeria, played at the highest level, yet um, was really lacking in confidence um, and feeling a lot of pressure with the supporters because it didn't feel as if they were on side. So, that can be challenging places to play as well. 
Well, for a bit of context there, Bridgie, I mean, and, and the rivalry is the tip of the iceberg here, but then just the expectation they have each week. You obviously played at Sunderland as well. Can you give the listeners a bit of an insight into how that was received in the area as a bit of a, a snapshot of some of the pressures that, that Maury just talked about? Well, I'll, I'll never forget when I was younger, I, I used to look forward to Christmas or birthdays to see what, what jersey I was going to get, whether it was a Liverpool or Spurs. You know, I just loved collecting football shirts. And uh, my best mate, who lived two streets down from me, was a Sunderland fan. Now, to be a Sunderland fan in the Sunderland family in the Newcastle region, that takes a lot of balls, okay? Because you're going to get a lot of stick. And my dad wouldn't let him come over the threshold of our house if he had his Sunderland jersey on. It was, you know, you're not bringing that rubbish in here. So it was quite ironic, the amount of grief that my dad gave my best mate, Gary, for years about being a Sunderland fan. And it was my dad that had to come and watch my first professional game over at Roker Park. <laughs> Me wearing a Sunderland shirt, sat next to my best mate, Gary, who started giving him a lot of stick, you know. So that's where it all the rivalry began from with my father. But to put it into context as to how far it goes, I didn't have any problems when I was playing for the Sunderland youth team. I was scoring a lot of goals, getting a bit of a name um, at the youth levels. And I was kind of fast-tracked into the reserves on a couple of occasions to play for them. Um, and, you know, I was playing the games for the reserves as well and playing well. And I was thrown in due to a few injuries that I'd come across at Sunderland. And I was in the right place at the right time to get my senior debut for Sunderland. And as soon as I made that first team appearance for Sunderland, I was still living with... I'd, I'd been at a hostel with the academy boys. And because I was so close to the local area of where I lived inside the radius, I was able to go back and stay with my parents of weekends and a couple of nights during the week. So I didn't have to stay like the, some of the lads from Ireland in the hostel 24-7. And it wasn't until that moment, as soon as I made my first team appearance for Sunderland, I, was, I think I've said this before in some podcasts, my dad got his car tyres slashed and there was some graffiti on the garage doors basically telling me to, I'm not welcome in the area anymore. And it was a, you know, he wasn't even able to go and have a pint in his local pub on our estate because I was wearing the red and white shirt. So it, it really hurt my father for many years, but he, he turned his back on Newcastle and obviously just wanted to support his, his son and his career because that's all he'd done when I was, he used to drive me everywhere to play football, mate. So it had a massive impact on the family um, for, for a couple of years just to, because I was a Sunderland player uh, living in a Newcastle area. Mm-hmm. And uh, that 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 rivalry is um, is something we don't really experience um, here in Australia. We you know we we still sort of like very new in terms of um, what we're we've currently seen in terms of our national competition and um, you know a lot of the things in terms of the the rules and regs around about the what the supporters can and can't do here within Australia as well. Uh, where Bridgie, as you as you know, there's kind of um, you know the the football culture and history over over a hundred plus years in 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 the UK. Uh, when you're already that young lad um, kicking the ball about in the street, there's somebody that um, that has a strong connection with a football club. Oh yeah, and that and that's what it's about. I think it's I think it's the the effect was my family originally. You know, everybody that's in your family has supports some form of club in the UK, and they've got an affiliation. And it's almost like you're brainwashing the support in that team. And I had to personally ask my father, 
if I was able to follow Chris Waddle and support Tottenham Hotspur, thinking I was going to get in trouble. And he laughed at us, you know, and we couldn't buy shirts ready available back then. But it's like you say, it's ingrained in you and the history and the culture. It's all about history and the the passion and the right of, of the area you were brought up from. But you can't just manufacture that, Craig. It takes time. And I think that's obviously where the A-League was going to, where we're trying to, you know, in Australia, trying to get the league bigger, trying to come up with different kinds of, um, you know, like cult heroes or club. And I think the West Sydney Wanderers, it was the first time that I'd been in this this country when I thought, you know what it is? They're getting this absolutely spot on. You can see they are creating something there. Yeah. And again, we just always seem to find that the setbacks. So um, it's, it's, it's work in motion over here. But again, that just comes with a period of time, like you said. You mentioned some of the, uh, the, the players that, that were in that squad at the time. Uh, a couple of decent strikers to market training. What was it like to play? Or, or what are some of the things uh, you remember playing and training with the likes of Owen and, and Shearer and the like? Yeah, well, look, I mean, Shearer just had a, he had a presence. He had, just, just has an aura about him, um, you know, and such a, a well-respected figure, um, especially uh, in Newcastle. Um, and, and like, just his presence, you know, I remember there was one, one time where Glenn Rode had called us in for a team meeting and somebody had kind of laced the ball, um, you know, up in the, up in the air at a decent height. And um, Shearer's at the bottom of it uh, when the ball comes down and just, he stuns it. It stuns it. It was like, it was just one of those moments. It was brilliant because it was just as we were walking into the meeting, um, he's shown that he's got an impeccable touch. He got a cheeky little grin. He looked over, uh, you know, a little wink at me and a cheeky little grin. And I just go, you know what? That's brilliant. Um, that's what, that's what he's all about. He was, um, he was a great goal scorer. He was, um, he was a hard man. Uh, you know, he, he was um, somebody that had a lot of respect, obviously within the football club. Um, but he never suffered. He never suffered fools. Um, you know, like you had to, you had to have something about you, uh, about yourself to to make any kind of impression on Alan Shearer. Um, so look, I really enjoyed my times. Um, you know, the, the the two years with him, and he finished off like uh, only Alan Shearer could in terms of scoring um, <clears throat> against against uh, the rivals, um, the Mackhams against Sunderland in a, in a four one away victory. Uh, Wash your mouth out! Don't you use that word? <laughs> it was um, it was a, a sensational way for uh, you know a really top top notch player and, and and bloke to to finish off his career. Michael Owen, Michael Owen, come in and um, was, was huge huge news at the time, obviously, and coming coming back to England um, for uh, you know big money. But he also was was someone that unfortunately struggled uh, with with injury uh, during his time uh, at the club. Um, like I says, I, I was in a similar position at the time, Bridgie. You like this one, right? So I'm coming back from hamstring injuries, um, which as you you know, whoa, yeah, probably, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. You've got to be fast to get hamstring injuries, mate. I was very, very quick, very, very quick. Maybe not when I was older. I was quicker in the brain then. Um, but I, I like your answer. I've heard that one before. <laughs> so, but I've come back into to training, and the confidence, as you know, when you've had muscle injuries, is is this, there's for a good few weeks, there's that um, seed of doubt that any explosion, any kind of uh, movement that you make, it, it it could it could go again. So you're a little bit, um, uh, you know, uneasy. And <laughs> yeah, and then I've got Mike Lowen coming back into training, also on the back of these these issues. Um, but 
one on one, he's getting the ball and then knocking it by you, and then it's a it becomes a running race. And I'm like, Mo, what are you doing, mate? We both just come back from hamstring injuries, and, he's and now trying mate, to run you one on one, mate. And I certainly ain't chasing you, mate. I'm not risking doing my hammy again. I'm just easing my way back into training. But I um, uh, look, he was. I got on really well with Michael Owen. Um, obviously, we had a we had a few. We're on here talking about football, but we had a common interest in the horses. Um, also, uh, you know, Michael Owen had a plan, obviously, to go. Life after football was was going to be heavily involved in the horse racing kind of side of things. You know, he had his own training facility. He, he had big plans. Um, but I just, I really enjoyed it. You know, I've always been somebody that has integrated well into a squad, Dave. Um, and, and Newcastle was no different for me because if you, you know, we've... Bridger, you would have seen, you know, the players that kind of are a little bit um, tentative and, and, and sit on the fringes a little bit, they don't, they, they don't seem to settle as quickly, if at all. Um, whereas I was always one of those players that used to throw myself into the mix because I just felt that that's what part of being a team is all about, getting yourself in the mix, being involved, um, earning the trust and the respect of your, of your fellow professionals. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't be seen to be shying away from things. I mean, that was a, a very similar scenario at Leeds United. It was my first ever transfer, so I'd known nothing else. I think that comes with experience. The more clubs you go to, it's it's far easier to embed yourself and and integrate with the players. And I remember thinking, going to Leeds United, this is going to be like going back your first day at school. You know, the butterflies were there. You just signed a, a five. Mm. I'd signed a five-year contract, but I'm thinking I was more nervous about going to meet the players and my new teammates for the first time than I was about the game that I knew was coming first game of the season against Derby. I was absolutely shitting myself to meet the players and thinking, what are they going to think? And it's funny when I look back because I was, you know, I was only 19, 20 years of age, first move away from home. And um, that was what I was worried about. What are the players going to think? Am I going to be able... And I was like, you, I just thought, stuff this. You've got to be yourself. You've got to get in there. And if you if you don't interact, you know, you're just going to get shoved to one side. And it was probably the best thing that I, that I did um, because yeah, I went on the forefront and, you know, you, you, I made a really good partnership with Harry Kuehl in the in the early years and then um, we, we just had a great run of success but I've seen other players that came into that environment and hmm. um, we had a Brazilian lad Rocco Jr didn't didn't oh. get engaged or get involved in anything and he was he was shoved away you know yeah 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 and I've met him a few times actually in Brazil um, he's, and he's, he certainly I mean it didn't didn't work from in the UK but he's, he's certainly not a quiet fella maybe it was just the environment and again <laughs> the, the language barrier and, and what have you but that's a very good point, Bridgie, that you that you bring up uh, in terms of one that you had no um, stress about. Obviously, the game because that's what you know. Uh, in terms of you know that's that's your comfort. That's what you can deliver upon because it's something that you knew and have done for a long, long time. Um, but it's like for the listeners out there, it, it it is. It's like when you try to compare players when they move from club to club and integrating into. And new teams and new environments. It's no different from that 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 young school kid that's changing schools at a very challenging yeah. time in their lives yeah. at twelve or thirteen years of oh, age, people. or changing jobs. You know, if you're changing if you're changing jobs and and, and all of a sudden uh, again you're 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 relocating, you're going into state, you're meeting new people, and these are the challenges uh, that are that are happening. Obviously, also within that footballing landscape. Um, and it's it's very very important about how you introduce yourself. 
people and fans think that when you because you're a sports person that you're you're in you're invincible. You know, we we're on this pedestal. You you know you're you're playing and you're doing something that you've loved since you were you were a child, and it should be plain sailing. And we we come across in our in our sporting career, especially in mine, all the adversities that everybody else does. You you ride the highs, you get the lows. My lows are with the injuries. Um, the nerves came with, like you say, a change in the scenario, the scenery, or even when managers change. It could be, you know, you could be the, the in a job, in a business, and you've got a manager that you're sitting under the wing for and you're working away and a new manager comes in with whole new ideas for that company and that business. And you're thinking, it's inevitable that at some point I'm going to be gone here because we don't have the same views. And um, that's, it's the same in sport. And, and we people just think that we don't go through the same scenarios. Our, our My life as a sportsman was the best. I would never change anything about it, but I had some dark times. Yeah. I had some incredible times. And I had some mixed times as well where you've got to learn about yourself and others. So it's, um, it's, not, as, it's not as easy as people think um, being, a, being a sports person, but it's like the same in everybody's life. Just say, Craig, you, you arrived at Newcastle after playing in, in high level in Scotland. You were seasoned international. Um, do you turn up at a at a big club like that and and walk in and go, I'm gonna they they, they might know who I am. I'm a bit more comfortable now. Do you go? Uh, I'm just gonna get them on the training pitch. Do you do you, do, you, do you strut into the dressing room and shake everyone's hand? How do you approach such a scenario? You know what? Well, certainly one thing that I didn't do is I never. I never overthought the situation. Uh, and, and what you kind of find in football is even when you're moving from club to club, although internationally when I went to Germany it was completely different, um, you normally know somebody within the football club. So, you know, with that you might know another player and all of a sudden that player is, is, is um, you know, a good network for you because then they start to connect you with with some other players. And, and normally normally that that's how it works. But... Um, Mate, you go in and you 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 you're certainly not one hundred percent yourself from from day dot. You go in because you have to you have to earn the respect of your um, of your fellow players. Um, and if you don't, I tell you what, um, you, you know you just don't you don't bed down. You don't settle in, and and all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, your time at that football club uh, can be very difficult. Also, what can help? Um, and I was quite lucky, and I'm, so I certainly wasn't a striker, as we know. Um, but on my uh, debut for Crystal Palace, I scored a goal. On my debut for Borussia Mönchengladbach, I scored a goal. Um, or it was only a friendly game at Newcastle. It was only a friendly doesn't game. Doesn't count. I know, I know, Bridgie. It doesn't. I don't. I don't say. But in terms of <laughs> the, the, the the meaning, the meaning of in terms of sometimes. Um, a moment or, or something like that can get you bettered in quicker than normal because you get the support from the fans as well. Yeah, totally. Totally yeah. agree. I, I've got to, got to say, Murray, you've just triggered, um, sorry, and Dave, you've triggered something there. When I was a young kid, I talked about Chris Waddle being one of my heroes. I learned a lot from Chris Waddle when he came to Sunderland, um, which really gave me so much confidence, like I say, to go and embrace everybody at Leeds United when I did get that move, even though I was so, so nervous. Chris Waddle signed with Paul Stewart for Sunderland um, under Peter Reid when they'd both come at the end of their careers. And I remember hearing the news that Waddle had signed that he, he was coming to the dressing room to meet the players. And, you know, I was, I was like shaken and really nervous, thinking I'm going to actually meet my hero. 
And what Waddler did, he came into that dressing room with, and as soon as the door opened, he had this aura and this confidence about him because he came in and he went all the way around the dressing room and shook every player's hand. And I just looked at him for yeah. about 30 seconds with my mouth open and he went, are you okay? And I went, I, I just love you. And the yeah, whole dressing room started laughing at us and I felt like such a dick. But <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget that moment of how I watched him go around that dressing room, the mannerisms. So that's exactly the same confidence that I went with when I went to Leeds and made sure I shook every player's hand and looked him in the eye and said hi yeah. and give them that false illusion even though I was crap myself and didn't believe I belonged at Leeds at that time with them superstars that were playing that's I still had to give off that persona that's, yeah. the, that's what happens when we do the podcast in the Optus foyer we can't actually get it started because people are coming up and giving, giving you the same reaction <laughs> sadly not but I like it <laughs> Hey, Maury, you touched on that. You, you mentioned Palace briefly um, yeah. and how you, you went there sort of in between your two Rangers stints. Um, mm. You both were coached by Terry Venables for um, different periods of your career in different, very different environments for all three of you. I'd love to learn a little bit more about him because anyone that seems to mention Terry Venables does it with a bit of a smile on their face. Yeah, uh, look, uh, in terms of... I'd worked with Terry Venables, obviously, because he was involved with the national team in terms of the 97 uh, qualifiers against uh, Iran. Um, so, obviously, I knew what, what, kind of, what kind of a coach, most importantly. Terry Venables, uh, his football knowledge and his ability to improve players was, was, was like nothing I've, I've, uh, I've seen. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that was also then one of the reasons why... Um, I'd gone to, to Crystal Palace because I hadn't really established myself at Rangers. Here's another manager that I've worked with and knew that was top draw um, and, and an opportunity to go to, to Crystal Palace. Um, the, 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 not the downside, the other side of LTEL, of Terry Venables, is the, the business side. Mm. Um, and, he, you know, he was one of those, um, one of those types where... Everybody knew how, how fantastically uh, amazing he was at football, but he always had other businesses, and, and sometimes maybe that, that could be seen as a, as a distraction um, at Crystal Palace. That's Sorry, where the nickname came from, mate. With, um, there was a few players have commented on that in the past, and I never experienced it when I was with him at Leeds. There was that um, Only Fools and Horses character, Del Boy Trotter, who was always trying to do wheels and deals and come up with different yeah. ideas, and that's where he got his nickname from. Yeah, 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 and and but he's um, and and it was a little bit similar in terms of you know at Crystal Palace, obviously you know back in London, back in in his uh, familiar playground, um, you know had a, had a few a few other businesses that I think like clubs or or, or these kind of things. It wasn't on the field as much as as probably I would have liked at that particular time because he was just somebody that you knew that when he was. Um, you just knew that your game was going to go from strength to strength because he had the ability just to break down the game into so much detail. Um, and sometimes we get into uh, habits that, that uh, you know, as footballers that maybe aren't good habits, for example, you know, defending in terms of that one stretch where, you know, all of a sudden now I've stretched and I've lunged, which means that I then, I then don't have the ability to move and go again if the striker moves the ball further. Um, so he, he was able to break down the game into so many small parts um, to revisit 
to, to revisit situations in terms of your, your playing style and, and habits. And, and it just made you a better player. So, you know, an absolute genius football-wise. Bridgie, I'm sure you agree, but we know that El Tell, he, he loved his, his other businesses as well and, and probably ducked and dived a little bit. Murray, what year was that you were with him at Palace? 99. Well, yeah, right. Okay, because I think we, obviously, when he came to Leeds, it was... We, we came on pre-season tour to Bangkok, China, and Australia. And I think he just finished with the national team. And okay. we were meeting him in Melbourne to take over. Yes. Uh, if he's just finished with the national team, that would have been after, that would have been 98. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Oh, well, he must have been in Australia because it was... Well, he was in Australia for some reason. He was coming to meet us unless he'd gone back and it was 2-3 two, two, or 2-4 two, that he'd, he'd come in. after. Uh-huh. Um, and I'll just never forget the first time we'd had a pre-season without a manager. So you've got Brian Kidd and you've got Eddie Gray. You've got a Manchester United legend. You've got a Leeds United legend. And they are obviously on the pre-season. They don't know who's going to be getting kept on in the manager's job. So our pre-season to Bangkok and China was a complete shambles. Yeah. When I look back at it, because nobody had the authority um, to, you know, we were we're karaoke in, we're going out. Say, but you had some good nights. You had some good nights. Oh, it was a cracking team bond, and it was like an end of season trip, but it was actually pre-season. And as soon as Terry was there, you just knew that this was it. It was game mode. We were back in business, and like you say, the 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 knowledge and the info that I gained from him in a short period of time. On, a, on an actual team basis, but on an individual basis, some of the things that he was teaching me as a as an individual striker to yeah. use the arms, to use the hands, how you how you can you don't always have to have your feet on the ball. You can let it go a couple of yards away from you, and as long as you know you're going to get impact from the defender, you can go down. You can win us. He, he called it winning possession um, or, or gaining ground and getting a free kick to slow the game down. He was. He just taught us so many different things. Um, gamesmanship. He was, he, was he was ahead of his time. That's a probably a good way, I think, to to describe yeah. Terry Venables. I think he was a, he was ahead of, uh, ahead of his time. Uh, his knowledge, as you touch on, Bridgie, was. Um, you know, nowadays uh, we we speak a lot of the time, uh, and managers and coaches as a collective, as a group, and um, you know, he just had the ability. He had that. He had that in his locker. But the individual stuff. Um, Plus, he also understood the physical attributes that were needed, Bridgie. Did you used to, on a Tuesday, when he was at Leeds with you, do you used to have a, a, an athletics running day? Tuesday afternoon, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you I go. Used, you I used to point. hate it. The only, the, only, the only light at the end of the tunnel was Wednesday was off, so you could oh. recover because he used to blitz the hell out of us on a Wednesday afternoon. My, they used to do that on a Sorry, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, the same thing, uh, Dave. We're a football club. Don't worry, you mate. You're not seeing footballs. Just get your trainers, boys. Athletics field. We started off with 1500s as a warm up into 800s, into 400s, 200s, 100s. I seen. I don't know how many people on those Tuesday sessions being sick that were physically fit athletes. It was a grueling day. 
Um, I'll tell you what, I never, I never saw, I saw a few lads every Tuesday afternoon after we did the football session in the morning. It was incredible how many of the players used to get um, a little bit of a, a back twinge just before we used to do the athletic session in the afternoons on the Tuesday. Ah, uh, see, we didn't do it. We didn't do it as a doubler. We, we, it was only a single session. It was. Oh, we used to do a double, and the lads would chuck them in. Oh, we got annihilated, mate. But, but again, interesting because this was somebody that's uh, seen as being an unbelievable technical coach, um, yet still understood um, the meaning of the the physical attributes that were required for the well. For the modern I, day I game. still think, Murray, that the FFA curriculum lost sight of. A lot of the times it was all to do with being doing your work with the ball. I yep. still say that it is a running game. It's like AFL, the distance that is covered and things like that. There's still a, a, a base and a foundation needed where the athletics and the agility needs to be part of part of a curriculum where you've got to get your, your base level and your, your fitness up. Need the Ks in the legs, 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, you can, you can do repetition stuff with balls, of course. That's going to improve technique. Um, you know, it's going to make people better uh, on the ball. But the modern day game of football, if you're not Athletes. an athlete, if you you don't stand a chance, mate. Yeah. Interesting stuff, yeah. And uh, particularly here in Australia, it's one of those attributes that not only for a baseline, but it's a, it was a hallmark of what we had in our DNA for, for such a long time. And you're, or you almost wonder whether uh, trying to be something else almost um, took away one of our strengths as well at times. Yeah, no, Dave, yeah, you're right. Sorry, sorry, but yeah, you're you're right because I mean, uh, you know, Bridgie played with with a couple of the Aussie boys at, at Leeds and maybe uh, a, few, a few others throughout his career. But one of the, you know, one of the things that Australian players had in abundance was the physical attributes, the ability to, um, you know, to 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 work their backsides off, to run all day, to. Um, <clears throat> Settle into to squads that were easy going lads, but most importantly, we were known as as players that had unbelievable physical attributes uh, and a winning mentality. Yeah, and, and then you know at times, and again, I don't know where this come from because we produce very good technical players as well. But the the argument was that that, that technically we're, we're not uh, fantastic because maybe we didn't control games the way that people want to control games and win games in, in a certain fashion. Um, but you can't tell me that. You know the the generation of players that I come through with, uh, and the leagues and teams in the world that they were playing with, that they weren't technically good players. Yeah, I tell you what yeah. was a great. Cool. I mean, I tell you what you take for granted. Watching it was a, such a pleasure to watch the 2005 playoff against Uruguay replay the other night. The the FFA media team did such a great job putting that on, and it, it's funny how you know time goes on and you remember things differently. And you watch that game, and 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 yet it was a tense game, and and it was uh, probably not the highest, most entertaining game in that sense because of what the stakes were, but the physical, the physical level that that cohort went to, the the technique to withstand the barrage that Uruguay put them in, um, you almost I, I found myself wondering, you know, how the current team today would have gone as the same circumstance and uh, you, you're now, you can see why we look back so fondly on, on, on your cohort, Maury. Yeah, uh, we, we struggle. We struggle, Dave. Like I says, we, uh, nowadays you get younger players and you're a younger player coming into a first-team squad. Uh, the minimum that you must bring um, is to be able to run about that field for 90, 95, 100 minutes. We, we, we're now getting, getting younger players and we're saying, well, you can only play 45 minutes. 
he can only play 60 minutes. Physically, he's not ready. Why is he not ready? Yeah, very good point. And what and 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 and, and the answer to that is a an entirely other a new podcast, I would dare say. And it's a funny one, Craig, because I saw on my you know on your iPhone you get memories from the year before, and I saw come up on my flashbacks this week. I think this time last week we did you jumped on the phone for us. We did a state of the game podcast. Yourself, Schwartzy, um, Paolo, Ocon, and Mel McLaughlin. And I looked, yes. and I went, I might just roll that one out again because I don't think anything's changed in that last year. <laughs> Mate, I shouldn't laugh. No, no, but we revisit it. And, and obviously, um, I don't know whether it's the podcast, whether you're touching on it or we're running out of time or not. But, you know, Viduka, obviously, in terms of his comments again recently. But, mate, there's been many of us um, that have been saying this for years and years and years. Um, you know, Viduka, obviously, uh, Bridgie played with and knows well. The big man um, doesn't necessarily speak a lot. Uh, but when he does, people listen. And again, he's come out with, with things that uh, certainly in terms of development, uh, in terms of what we're lacking, uh, in terms of the knowledge uh, that's not kept within the game. These are things that we've been banging our heads on for years. And the, and the, um, the, the intellectual property of so many years of experience, and we have the pleasure of speaking to you guys when you come in and you do the studio. We've spoken at length about the amount of knowledge sitting there ready to go. And Rob Sherman's parting dossier was absolutely fascinating because it basically, yeah, it basically hinted that a lot of the things that you guys talk about at the coffee shops and not the parks around the country um, and that you're so willing to part with that knowledge um, is not being welcomed and received. Can you, can you echo whether you've had the same experiences as Vidukes in terms of, um, wanting to contribute, but probably in the last 10 years, the door not necessarily being open? I look, with, with me, uh, obviously I've had involvement with the FFA in the last 10 years, uh, but I, I had an opportunity to, to then go into to Clubland. Um, but at the same time, um, it was a battle to get in. Um, you know, we've had, we've had three CEOs um, and, and, I'm not having a pop at them personally as, as in who they are uh, in terms of they're not bad people. But in terms of the sport, you know, John O'Neill, Ben Buckley, David Gallup. Now, no disrespect to these people. They don't even know the game of football. All right. Now, now we've got someone that James, James Johnson that's come in who I'm excited about um, really getting behind and supporting because he's a football person. Um, he's going to have challenges. He's walked into, um, well, he's walked into the perfect storm. Uh, yeah, sure has. That, that many things that, are, that have been happening. Um, but Dave, it's, it, it's, 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 it's action now, not words. You know, I've, I'm somebody that, that, that certainly would like to get back involved in the game. Um, you know, I've, I've got 20 plus years of, of, of knowledge of European football and Australian football. Um, does that mean that I'll find a way in the game? Who knows? Uh, time will tell, but it's an exciting time. Bridger, you might have a different take because, again, your experience is the same as uh, you know myself in terms of the involvement that you've had at the game and the level that you've played with. Um, but with you not being uh, an Australian, how have you found that challenge in Australia and have you been looked upon differently because you're not necessarily Australian? Well, I'll go back to the first thing you were talking about. I still find it, and I'll come back to your question there, Marie, but it's a, it, it's a very interesting one. The, I 
couldn't understand when I first came here and I'd gone through the the playing career and you do the transition period where you're going into coaching and, and into the media. And I could not believe um, how many ex-players were not kind of being asked to be involved with the FFA. I, cu- I couldn't believe it because I look around the, you know, in the UK and I look around in Germany and you always see ex-players giving right. advice of becoming ambassadors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's huge because at the end of the day, the kids in the country, if we are pulling somebody, like you were saying, the names, it, uh, and let's just say Gallup's giving out instructions or people that are under, under them are giving out instructions and information, you know, the, the kids in the community and coaches around the country are kind of going to take it in one ear and out the other. They might take a little bit of it. If there is ex-players, and like you say, Mark Paducah speaking up, you people like yourself that have been involved in the game, you, you, the doors always seem to be shut or there's roadblocks put up every opportunity to kind of say, you know, we're looking after our own entity here. Whereas the knowledge, a kid will live off that comment. This is what I took out of the Viduka article. I'll live off that comment or that bit of information and structure that you give to them or you're coaching them or you're giving advice on how to deal with certain situations uh, because you've been there, you've lived it, you've breathed it. And it's something that I think needs needs to be because the more of you guys that are involved in that, the, the better it is for the game. On the other side of that, what you've just asked me, has it been tough? It's, I've become, I've been here 10 years, I became an Australian citizen, but I am still seen and classed as a foreigner or a foreign coach. Yeah. that makes any sense. I've been through all the badges. You go through, yes, you see, you be, you A, you see some. I've in the pro license, I've taken a lot of good out of that and I've taken things that I've thought, that's a load of rubbish and I've just parked that and put it to one side. And you've still got to go through the process. But when you when you try and come up with ideas and, you know, that recently doing the the pro diploma, Rob Sherman was a TD, came in and gave a fantastic appraisal. He was asking everybody for their information. How can we, as a collective group of coaches in this country, come up with some new form of identity or given... And the ideas that were flowing across the room, some of them were superb and Rob was really absorbing them all and, and making you feel part of that. And to see him gone already in such a short space of time, I'm just like, here we go again. It's every time something seems to go forward, we're kicked back. And I've found it really hard, um, Murray, to, you know, keep, keep a, how do you say, be tight-lipped about some of the things that I've witnessed go on in this, in this country when I've been a player and a coach and some of the coaches that I've, I've worked under and are actually still involved in the game um, yeah. at youth level. Um, because I, I still think it, it needs a, a, a lot of it needs a big clear out. Yeah, and that, that's, that's a thing, Bridget, as well. They see us as a bit of a... It's, it's not like they see you as a threat, but they, they do because you've got so much knowledge and advice to give. What I've found, I'm happy and willing. I'm, you know, I'm very approachable. I'll give advice to people and I love helping others out and I want to get involved. Mm. Other people see it as a threat. And I've, there's things that have happened where I've been really hurt and backstabbed in the past, mate, and it yep. doesn't sit well with us. And I was generally thinking you're doing the right thing. And yeah, people yeah. take it the completely opposite way, mate. So it's um, I've I've really found that's been a, a tough thing to conquer over here, where people feel threatened or that the, you've got hidden agendas, where where um, it it doesn't sit well. No, and you're right. And like I said, but at the same time, you're very um, respectful and professional because we've all seen uh, a lot of things that have left a a poor taste at times. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's easy to come out. Um, and, and like I says, and 
you know, say, say, say and talk about all these kind of stories. And, but we, we, we want to find, you know, we want to find ways that our game can move forward. Mm. Uh, and, and, and through debate, through good discussion, um, through secure people, not insecure people. Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm. Then, then we can make some gigantic strides forward in this game so the, the, the other thing the other thing where we are there's a big one is all the federations around the country coming together and, and basically all wanting to go in the same direction instead of you know thinking oh what's in it for us that's a huge one just to get some some communication and some clarity and I think that's a big thing that James wanted to sort out Johnson when he came in just to make sure all the federations understood the rules and regulations get together as as a one and for the good of the game, not just for the for their region or for their clubs, or whatever, for the good of the game, and that and that is a that's a huge, a huge thing that needs to be conquered. And I I call it was interesting. We call it um for the ecosystem of football rather than the ecosystem of football. Yeah, and that's that's spot on. And what but what we're still uh, and and this needs to happen for our game to thrive. And and I'm I've got I do have a lot of confidence in James Johnson to be able to. Uh, to to deliver this, if you can get the right people in around about him, is and if we, we can get through the coronavirus situation as well. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. We'll come out the other side, and, uh, and yeah. who knows who knows what the other side is going to look like at this particular moment in time. But we have a wonderful opportunity. But we must. We need actions. We don't need the words that we've we've had because we talk about inclusiveness. We talk about as one. Yet yeah, what we've seen, Bridgie, in recent uh, weeks is. Uh, well, now seven uh, clubs out of the ten Australian-based A-League clubs, separately, uh, one by one, come out and say that they were standing players and staff down. Now I understand that uh, you know the the owners and there's no money coming in and revenue, what have you. That it's a difficult situation. But my point, my point is that individually they come out, and then in retaliation to that, we've got the PFA that are then coming back at them to say, well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. So. Are we actually talking? But clearly, we're not talking. We're not as one because we're still not having the conversations with the people that we need to be having the conversations with. So, you know why that's happened in the past, though, Craig? I, I feel that that's happened in the past because it's like you—you've hit the nail on the head. When you've got people that have been involved in football all their life, and I'm not just talking about like us as players. I'm talking about people that have put their heart and soul into a state league team that they've played for as juniors, they've gone on to be businessmen, but they've always had a love of the game. And they've got people that are the head of the FFA that don't have any football background like you've talked about. And they, they have got to listen to the direction from the And they're thinking, hang on, I've got more ideas than you about the game and you're telling me what I should be doing. This yeah. is where there was, a mass, there was a massive conflict. So now that James is there, like you've said, I'm hoping that because he's got a football background as a player, He's gone and learned his trade with FIFA and um, and with the City Group and things like that. He's he's got oh, the yes, best yes. interests. When somebody like that is telling you or asking you for ideas and saying sharing ideas, I'm filtering that in a different way. I'm not taking that in as a bit of conflict or animosity. I'm taking that in thinking, oh, this is for the good of the game. So hopefully the future is bright. I just think a lot of people in the past have been so paid off with people giving out ideas on football that have got no football background. His, his language has been good, calling for togetherness and, and unity. And, and, and thank, thank the Lord that on Friday, the PFA and the clubs did come to some sort of agreement to talk. Um, I, I, I did have a chat to the PFA for an article last week. This has gone out this week. 
And it really was loggerheads. It really was at a time where they weren't talking to each other. And you're looking at it going, this is a time the game needs unity and sense of purpose more than ever. And there was still fractious. At least there's some common, common purpose now in that sense to find the just solution to this crazy time. But a lot of people, and hopefully Viduka's interview is a bit of a you know, nuclear bomb into it and, and, and Sherman's dossier that, to say, well, we actually do have a bit of time now. Uh, we've got to use this worst case scenario to work out um, how do we improve and, and find that, that commonality. And, and, and I think James Johnson's language has been, has been uh, really encouraging in that sense. But on, on a lighter note to end off, gents, you, we, we did reference Mark's interview and you were both name dropped in it. Um, uh, Bridgie for your hilarious lead stories and more for, um, for how it was like for Mark when, when he was told he was going to be the captain from uh, who's hitting. Um, can you take us back there, Craig, to that, to that time and that, 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 um, that dramatic moment where um, obviously the guys qualified while, while you were injured and then you got back into the squad, but who's made that call to sort of um, get the best out of Dukes. Yep. What, what do you remember of that time? Yeah, no, pretty much. Obviously, um, you know, as as kind of Dukes had, had mentioned, I'd um, you know, obviously Gus had come in quite late uh, in terms of the preparation for the for the World Cup, and uh, had his had, you know clearly had his his own ideas in terms of you know what was the best way to uh, maximise um, you know the the performances of of players. Uh, I was injured at the time. Whether or not I was somebody that he was going to look at as as a captain. Um, whether I was fit or not, I don't know. I never had that conversation. But what, you know, what we did have is at the time, um, you know, Gus had made the call for for Dukes to to be the captain. Um, you know, Dukes, as he as he mentioned in the interview, was kind of, um, you know, at times it kind of could feel like a burden to him because you know he liked to just focus on on, on what he needed to do. Um, Whereas just probably his alarm just to make sure he was in time for meetings. <laughs> yeah. Whereas with myself, obviously, again, as I touched on earlier in the podcast, the way I integrate, you know, I'm, I'm one of those ones that's always involved with many different players within the squad. And uh, that's my character. And I'd kind of sort of like worked my way up to, to be in that position within the national team. Dukes was a little bit uncomfortable with it. But again, he come and he spoke to me because we'd grown up as kids. We come through the AIS together and it's like Maury, or he actually doesn't call me Maury, he calls me Digger. <laughs> he says, Digger, he says, he says, I'm not really, uh, you know, I want to make sure that you're okay with this. And I go, big man, it doesn't matter, as we know, me and you, it doesn't matter who wears the armband. All right, that's not important because when we go out onto that football pitch, you know, we all want to be leaders. We all want to be able to help our mates. I says, mate, don't even be thinking about it. You've got 100% support for myself and the rest of the group, mate. Let's just get on with it. Um, and I think after that conversation... I think he felt a lot more at ease because he knew that, that the support was, was there and it wasn't uncomfortable for me. What did you guys make of the interview, Bridgie? I thought it was fantastic and just typical of the, typical of the Dukes when he, when he speaks out. He's, you know, he's had a lot of things in the, in the past, which we all have as players, where you've got the good, the bad and the ugly of, of sport. And... You know, a lot of the things hit home, but like Craig said before, when you don't hear from somebody for such a long time, it's actually more powerful. The Dukes has been living his life as I expected him to do after football. Um, you know, just wanting to be with his family, be back where where he belongs. He was very, you know, very 
homely man and whenever he did say something at the training ground it would crack you up because you wouldn't he wouldn't crack jokes all the time but when he did or when he did something that was meant to be serious and he spoke out it it, it was you you kind of got a reaction and, and i think that's what powerful. i got from the interview it's powerful it is and i think that's exactly what i took from the interview he's he's hit home he's he's, he's planted his seeds he said what he had to say but again the things they're very powerful because it's it's, it's spoken from the heart um, with with the big man and it was just nice to actually see him on camera and be refreshed about how he is because I think I didn't know the situation with the captaincy obviously back then with the national team I knew that him and Harry had a little bit of friction at Leeds United but nobody knew why and when he spoke about the agent Bernie Mandich it was yep. it, you know it echoed so many things that I'd thought about that um, that agent when he looked after Harry in the past anyway so it was refreshing to hear the to the big man release his, his stuff but it, on the side of the Socceroos with the armband, I remember of a Dukes, and you know, he laughed in the interview saying that I exaggerate things. I always say, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. The Dukes, <laughs> Dukes did always used to be late. We never podcast otherwise, Bridgie. Exactly, mate. Basically, Jacob Burns, if, if it wasn't for Jacob Burns, babysitting the Dukes and getting them ready on time and telling them we've got a meeting here, we need to do this. The Dukes would have had no money because he would have given it all to the fines pool. So I think the armband for the Socceroos, when I look back now, kind of give him a meaning that he thought, oh my God, I've, I, whether Gus knew that or, or he didn't, it, I think it kind of made the Dukes a lot more accountable and a lot more reliable rather than being the laid-back man that he, he, he just loved to be and he could turn it on when he wanted to. I think that gave him a real bit of satisfaction um, out, out of doing that. And it, that, was, that was very powerful as well. The thing, uh, Craig, that obviously made a lot of headlines was the, the atmosphere at the Asian Cup, which, which I, if I recall right, I don't think you, you were at that particular tournament. But uh, Schwartzy and Viduka both mentioned things around um, to the generational change and that kind of thing. You were back for 2010. Was, yeah. there, was there a different climate between the two, the two tournaments, the two big World Cups? I mean, there was obviously... Um squad rotation from from 2006 to 2010 um like like again i i think um our team probably unfortunately wasn't at the level of what of what 2006 was but um you know because you you have a change in squad so when i say it's not at the level you've got some players that are just starting to establish themselves and and you're hoping that 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 the moves and their their careers are going to take them to that level. Um, that that was a transition kind of phase. But now look, look, I never uh, experienced um, any difference in terms of the, the the team the team kind of environment. Um, you know, we had a, a good mix of younger players coming through. We still had the experienced ones. We had a we had a pretty poor start in 2010. Obviously, the shellacking that we received from from Germany um, and a few home truths were, were, were spoken within the group um, as a group, obviously um, about that performance and, and how I've said it, I've said it a number of times. It was a, the one and only time that I played for the national team and felt that we had 11 individuals rather than, well, we ended up with 10 because Timmy Cahill got sent off. We didn't play as a team. Um, and that was addressed very, very quickly. And, uh, the response, the response was a positive one, which you'd expect from uh, Australian teams, and 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 unfortunately we didn't end up qualifying. But the response was uh, the main thing: we picked ourselves up up off the canvas. So 
the worrying thing was, like I says, game one, my personal opinion was uh, we had a lot of people uh, playing for their or having their own ideas, whereas previously that would have never been the case. How, how does that happen? This is almost a bit cathartic to me. I was up in the stands that night and had to catch a flight at two in the morning from, I think it was Durban back to Joburg wondering, oh my God, yeah. what's going on here? Um, yeah. how, does, how does that happen on, on the biggest stage, that disconnect between plans and, and going out and, and having 11 individuals? Late, late changes, I think, to, um, to potentially the starting lineup, if I can remember. Um, a few potentially disgruntled players that, that, that weren't, weren't starting. Uh, so, ah, look, there's a few different things that obviously can um, influence a, a performance like that. But uh, you've also got to remember we, you know, we, we were getting um, a, a proper serving to by the, by the Germans who were, were, were free-flowing and, and, and a fantastic side. You know, I'd experienced situations uh, where you know, throughout my career where maybe you're not at, at the level or you're struggling or that day you're, 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 you're not able to compete, but you, you don't, you don't throw the towel in. So, you know, again, for me, the attitude, the attitude of acceptance uh, and, and this is too hard um, and, and, and trying to find excuses, just things that for me really not, uh, you know, things that I'd experienced as an Australian player in the Australian national team, for 10, 15 years, well, 15 years that I'd been involved in. Um, pleasing thing was, Dave, that it never festered. It was addressed. We bounced back. Um, obviously, the, the, the Asian Cup was something completely different because um, I know that there was three or four potential players that were promised to be captains, um, you know, and, and, and Arnie's inexperience in that situation, he, was, he would have certainly learned from. But that, along with... Um, you know, for the first probably real time where we're having players that have just come from majority European cooler climates to then go and play in ridiculously stifling, humid conditions. Um, and, and I know because I've spoken to Arnie a couple of times, one of the findings after that tournament was outside of the captaincy drama was that um, he felt that the players that were there were unable to uh, handle the conditions. Fascinating stuff. Fasc you know what? One of the positives of this downtime we've all got now is some of the stories in Australian football. I mean, some of them get blown up, like some of the bits of Mark's really authentic, wholesome interview in full were. But one of the great things I'm loving while there's a bit of time is to actually talk about these important moments in Australian football history that maybe haven't been given the, the reflection and, and the, the public debate that uh, the benefit of hindsight can give. So um, thank you. Thank you for your honesty and sharing those insights more. I really appreciate that. No problem, mate. Bridgie. Hello. No, I was just listening in. I'm, you know what it is? I'm just trying to paint a picture. It was almost like I was in the, in the Australian or the Socceroos camp there, just listening to all the different, the dynamics, the way it all unfolds and just thinking back towards my time at different clubs I've been at to try and put that into context there. So that's quality, Murray. Cheers, lad. Cheers, pal. Thanks, guys. Boys, I've, I've kept you for, for long enough, but the uh, f fascinating listening, hung on to every word. Um, and uh, look, let's hope live football is back sooner rather than later. But if it's not, let's have, let's have a yarn again soon because there's plenty to talk about. Damn right. And can I just reiterate what Murray said at the start? For all the people that are listening to this, 
whether it's, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are. Um, mentally, it's going to be very, very tough over the next few weeks and months to come with what's going on around the world. Make sure you somehow keep yourself stimulated, you get exercising, and if you are struggling, or people, are, there is people that can listen and talk to, don't be scared not to talk out because um, there's going to be a lot of things going on in people's minds at this moment in time. And it's, it's not healthy, but it can be as long as you keep yourself, um, keep yourself going and keep on top of it. Great message, Bridget. Good way to finish off, mate. Well said, mate. Well said. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate you jumping on board all the time to uh, lighten the mood for everyone at home and have a bit of a laugh and a bit of a reminisce as well. Gents, again, thank you so much. Take care. Have, have, a, good, have a good rest of the week. And Bridget, start preparing for tonight early. Study. Study, study, study. Bring the trivia on. <laughs> good stuff. Thanks, gents. And to good everyone good. out there, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. As ever, we'll be back with another one next week. I normally say, until the next Gagan Pod, enjoy your football. This time, stay safe, look after each other, and all the best.